you, Jesus. no one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. Amen. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 23. We're going to start there. Guy, if you want to bring the lights back up a little bit where they were. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. You know, if you weren't here last week, um, you know, I think I would say the one the one thing that the Lord has been working on my heart, maybe even this whole year, and just reminded me of, and even so more so in this christmas season is the idea that the christmas story didn't start in the book of matthew you know we we always start in the book of matthew or luke and say here's here's the christmas story and let's read the christmas story the christmas story starts in genesis because it's all one story the whole Bible is one story. There is, it's just one. It's one book. That's why it's one book. It's got a lot of, a lot of little mini books. It's got a lot of chapters, a lot of chapters. <laughs> but it's one story. It's all the same story. All the all the different characters that show up are a part of the one story, the God story. And can I recommend to you, if you've never read the Scripture, you need to read the Scriptures. And if you've never read the whole Bible, then I encourage you to read the whole Bible. But let me tell you another great place to start. Read a children's Bible. Get the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, write that down if you need to, or just, you know, act like you're not writing it down. <laughs> Get something like the Jesus Storybook Bible, because it tells the entire Bible as one story in a unique way. Get the Jesus Calling Really Little Kids Bible, because then you get the overview of the whole Scripture, the main point of what's going on through the whole Bible. Don't be embarrassed. Do it by yourself. <laughs> if you're like... I don't have a kid to read it to. I mean, that's the sneaky way to do it, right? It's to find a kid and say, hey, I'm going to read this to you. I mean, it's really for me. I hope it blesses you too. But seri I'm being serious that there is so much. Sometimes people can have a revelation just reading and recognizing, oh, this all goes together. Sometimes we show up on Sunday and you're like, wow, that's a, you know, 
the pastor gets up and uh, opens to some passage and, you know, you're like, okay, there's a random thought from God. Uh, the Bible is not random thoughts from God. The Bible is one story of God from the beginning until the end. Some of it hasn't even happened yet. Some of it might be happening right now. I don't know. Uh, that last book. <laughs> I don't know if 2020 was in that last book or not. Uh, so that's kind of been on my heart. So, you know, if you were here last week, we, we, we went through the whole Bible <laughs> and we started in Genesis and we talked about the idea of Jesus showing up and ending spiritual barrenness in our lives. And we looked at barrenness throughout the scriptures and we went to Genesis and then Isaiah 54 and we tied it to Luke one. And so we're kind of, kind of do some of the same things today. Uh, we're, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to try to get a big picture, uh, so you, and, and then focus in. And so we're going to start in Psalm 23, and I want to read uh, one verse. Let's just read the whole thing. Psalm 23 is good. We can read the whole thing. So it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm reading from NIV. Uh, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes. He restores my soul. He guides me along. The paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was actually the New International King James Version mixed together from memory for me. So because some of those things I just can't say, I've got to say it through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I cannot say what this thing says right here. Uh, so it's just a different way to say it. There's nothing wrong with it. But uh, when you learn it the first time, you've got to stick with it. But I want to focus in on this one scripture, and it's this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is going to tie into Jesus. You're going to, we're going to get to Jesus and the prophecies of Jesus. So hang with me. Ooh, hang with me. Okay. Um, we're going to get there. So I want to tell you a little bit about the shepherd's rods in that time. You can keep the lights up. Keep them up. I can't see. I'm too old now. Trey. <laughs> so <laughs> the shep, what the, the olive tree is a very important tree in Israel where the people of God were first, you know, the promised land. And so there is also all throughout scripture the idea of the olive tree as a metaphor for God building his people as an olive tree. There's all kinds of prophetic scriptures and we're going to look at just a couple of them. But here's what would happen with the, with the olive trees. Um, when they would get cut off, what would happen is they would begin to grow a new shoot, okay? And that word is important, the word shoot, that they would grow a new shoot. And when these new shoots would grow, they would grow up to about, uh, up to three meters long, I believe is what it said in the, in the study tool I'm using. And so when it would grow and when they would, they would 
pluck these new shoots that became branches out and they would have a large knob at the end of them and they would break them off and then they would use them then as the shepherd's rod from the olive tree, okay? And so then it has a big old heavy knob on the end of it and so your rod and your staff... They comfort me. One of the ways that they comfort you is this. The shepherd would then use the rod to throw at the wolves or the lions or any animal that was trying to attack the flock with that big knot on the end. They would throw it like a, like a javelin. And so they would then hit the animal in the head and either knock it out or, or ring its bell so much that it says, this is not worth it. And so the shepherds would use their rods to protect the sheep. Now, the other way that the shepherd would use the rod would be to correct the sheep. So they would take the rod, and if they were getting out of hand, they'd go, they'd whack them with the rod. Because, you know, if you don't know, and I don't know either, but I've read, the sheep are really dumb. They're just dumb animals. I have confirmed that with my father-in-law, who actually has messed with sheep. He does not want to mess with sheep. That sheep are nasty. They're dumb. They smell. Uh, and they do all kinds of, you know, stupid, make stupid choices. And so that's why they need a shepherd. That, that a sheep will actually not find new food to eat. It'll just keep sitting there in the same place. Because unless you lead it to the new place, to lead it to the new streams of water or the green pastures, it's stuck in the place and it's like, how come there's nothing here I can't eat? And then you just, it just like kind of just, I'm exaggerating a little bit maybe, possibly. You know, if a sheep gets knocked over on its back, it can't get up. Like it's just stuck. It just That too. So... What, to get on the ground? I've, done, I've gotten on the ground before when I've used that illustration, but I'm now too mature for that. Um, <sighs> so the rod was used as a, you know, your rod as a comfort to drive away the enemy, but also a comfort to keep you on the right path, to lead you to the right place. So now... I want you to turn to Isaiah 11. Now, who's the good shepherd? Jesus, right? And so we're going to look at one of the prophecies of Jesus because the story of Christmas starts way before Matthew, as I said earlier. And so all throughout the book of Isaiah and the other prophets, they begin to talk about someone. They begin to, they begin to mention the Messiah. In other words, there's this one coming. He's gonna come. And so I'm gonna give you a new Christmas scripture to read for Christmas Day, uh, if you'd like to read a different one. And so I want you to notice some of the language that's used, uh, as we read Isaiah 11. And it says this, a, a verse 1 of Isaiah 11, 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Did you all notice the key word there again? What's happening? What, what, what is, what is, who is that? Jesus is the shoot, right? 
same tree, but he's the fresh branch or shoot that's growing out from that. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Lost my spot. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Then it says, look, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what this is, is, hang with me here, is a prophecy of Jesus coming to earth, what he's going to do, and what's going to be the result in his kingdom. The end result is miraculous things will happen. In other words, all these animals... They can never live together. They will never lie down together unless one of them's in the stomach of another one. Right? I mean, these, it's like the predator and the prey are laying down together. The only time that happens in normal life is after the predator eats them and lays down and takes a nap after a good meal is when they're lying down together. So in other words, there's going to be something extraordinary that happens out of the ordinary. The children will be able to play with the snakes. In other words, they're not going to be harmed. There's not going to be that thing that, that harms your life anymore that's present in the kingdom of God in the new life. Okay, so that's a little bit of promise of the future. Then there's a promise of when Jesus comes. What's he going to do? He's going to show up as a shoot. Okay, and you have to understand that all throughout the Old Testament, there's this metaphor going on of God calling his people that he's, he, you're my tree, you're my olive tree. And it's a sign here of hope. Because the first time the olive branch and the olive tree shows up in the scripture, do you want to know where it is? Anybody can you anybody guess when you've heard like an like an animal flying through the air with an olive branch in its beak? Noah's Ark. What was that a sign of? That was a sign that there was new life. And so that's the first mention. Many times in Scripture, the first mention of something is super important for the rest of the story. Because it's all one story. And so the sign of the olive branch. Uh, I almost said Moses, Noah, one of those old guys, right, in the Bible, he, Noah knew there is now hope for new life and we can get out of the ark. In other words, this is the sign. And so right here, Isaiah is giving a sign. Hope is coming. A shoot will come up from Jesse, there's going to be an, and they would have known, hey, this is the olive branch. Now, let me tell you a little about, about olive trees, okay? Do you all know about olive trees? Have you been studying them? Uh, no, you haven't. <laughs> because you have lives and children and grandchildren, okay? 
So hear this, the, that God using the olives and the olive tree is, I don't think, accidental. It's not like this, let me just pick one. Okay, this one. <laughs> the olive trees can tolerate drought well due to their sturdy and extensive root systems. Listen to this. Olive trees can live for several centuries. Centuries. That's a hundred years for you kids who haven't gone through school yet. Hundreds and hundreds of years and can remain productive for as long if they are pruned correctly and regularly. In situations where extreme cold has damaged or killed the olive tree, the rootstock can survive and produce new shoots, which in turn become new trees. In this way, olive trees can regenerate themselves. This is kind of crazy, right? Listen to this. In Tuscany in 1985, a very severe frost destroyed many productive and aged olive trees and ruined many farmers' livelihoods. However, new shoots appeared in the spring, and once the dead wood was removed, became the basis for new fruit-producing trees. In this way, an olive tree can live for centuries or even millennia thousands of years. Many olive trees in the groves around the Mediterranean are said to be at least hundreds of years, while an age of 2,000 years is claimed for a number of individual trees. In some cases, this has been scientifically verified according to Wikipedia. (laughs) Here's the point. You can chop down an olive tree all the way to the ground, to the stump. And because of its roots and the life that dwells within it, it can grow something new. So when God calls his people an olive tree, whoa, that's pretty good right there. What does it say in the New Testament? Let me tie it to the New Testament for you. I hope I can tie this in. In Romans chapter 11, it says that the non-Jews, the Gentiles, most of us, were grafted in as what? Wild olive branches. In other words, we're being put into the same tree. In other words, the very life, the spiritual life, the relationship with God that he established with Abraham, with Moses, with Adam, with Noah, you are being put into the same root system, the same original tree. And that's why it's important when Isaiah says here, look, there's a shoot coming from Jesse. In other words, this is the same thing I've been doing, but there's new life coming. And that new life is going to come from Jesse, who is the father of who? King David. And who is Messiah Jesus called? He's called the son of David because he would come from the lineage of David through both his earthly father, Joseph, and his earthly mother, uh, Mary, although Joseph had no genetic, you know, play in him, but both sides, they're descended from David. 
And so Jesus is the promise of new hope that's being manifest. And what's happening in this situation with Isaiah right here is the people of God are being severely attacked by a group called the Assyrians. And God is going to use the rod of his mouth to dispel them to win the victory and he does win the victory when they don't think it and in the middle of this he promises and says look someone is coming in the future from the line of jesse and he's going to give you new hope and the spirit the sevenfold spirit of god is going to rest upon him the sevenfold spirit appears four times in the book of Revelation. I know I'm tying a lot of things together, but I want you to get the idea that God is at work through the entire story of the Bible, all of history, that he has been bringing Jesus. All of history hinged on Jesus coming. And so there are seven aspects of who Jesus is, the, the, the seven it's not different spirits, but the sevenfold spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord are listed right here. Where that when Jesus came, he was operating in all of that. He was operating in all wisdom. He was operating in the anointing of the Lord himself, the Yahweh God, the eternal God, the spirit of understanding that he was he was he had knowledge and understanding and he released understanding the spirit of counsel when you need wisdom in a moment when you need the right word when you need the right direction he had it the spirit of might he had the strength to do what he needed to do in that moment the spirit of knowledge he knew all things the spirit of the fear of the lord that he was completely humble and submitted to father god himself you know those seven Seven means a lot in the Bible. Did you know that? That the number seven, he starts in Genesis again. There were seven days that God created the earth. And so it symbolizes perfection. You know, when they, there's, uh, when they went into the land of Canaan, it says there were seven choice things, including olive trees and, and uh, you know, milk and honey and all those things. You know, there were seven things. In other words, to say this is the place of completeness. This is the place of perfection. Here you've got the sevenfold spirit of God. In other words, this is going to be the place of completion and perfection of God is going to show up in Jesus. In the temple, there was a, a candlestick. How many, how many candles were on the candlestick? Seven. Not the Hanukkah one. There's eight on Hanukkah because that's a different thing. But there's seven on the candlestick representing completion. And what happens when we, we are now, what does Jesus say in the New Testament? Hey, you're the light of the world. In other words, you're, the, you're now the candlestick to shine brightly in all the earth. You have the seven candles that are going to dwell within you, which is actually what Jesus has on his life. The sevenfold spirit of God is going to dwell within you as well because he says the spirit, my spirit, is going to come live in you as you trust in me and you're going to have might. You're going to have counsel. You're going to have understanding. You're going to have wisdom. The spirit of the Lord will be upon you. It will be your protection. It will be your covering. It will be your anointing. 
and he will not judge by what he sees on the outside. In other words, just as Ashley was saying, like we come and we can judge ourselves by our performance or all this stuff that doesn't measure up. And God's like, look, I'm not going to judge like that. I'm going to judge in righteousness. And what is what happens with us as we trust in Jesus? Jesus says, you have my righteousness. So when Jesus comes to judge you in righteousness, he sees righteousness. It's one story all throughout the Bible. One story. And it all hinges upon Jesus. That if Jesus doesn't come, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Jesus, God says, behold, I'm making all things new. So isn't it a beautiful picture that God uses the olive tree to say who his people are going to be as he builds them? And in the middle of that, he's going to have the fresh shoots come up. Just kind of fresh shoot shoot pop up. It's going to begin to bear fruit. Uh, It was interesting reading about the olive trees. It's like actually sometimes it's even better that they take the transplants somewhere else and join it to another tree, and that actually sometimes produces the most fruit. Isn't that crazy? That God can take something and just like say, here's, here's, here's the way I'm going to work in your life. Here's, here's who you are as the people of God. Because, uh, you know, we were, we were grafted in, as Romans 11 said, we were grafted in to what God was already doing. Uh, and... That's his rod of protection, but also there's his rod of correction. So I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 14. Anybody know where Hosea is? It's to the right. (laughs) Hosea chapter 14. Because we need the rod in our life to both protect us and correct us. So it says this in Hosea chapter 14. And you'll notice a few of the same words that show up that we've been focusing on. It says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. And then the Lord says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger is turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, and he will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots, and his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. 
People will dwell again in its shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And you're like, Merry Christmas, Pastor John. (laughs) How did we get there? Well, notice that there's, there's the themes all throughout that section of God and the life and the shoots and the, and the blossoming and the fragrance and all those things are going to happen. Let me tell you one more thing about the olive tree is it's ugly. Especially the roots. The root system is like this gnarled mess of all this stuff and it's from that gnarled mess that all the life comes. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to do what Hosea here is encouraging the people of God to do in his time. Return and repent and say, forgive us for the things we walked after. It says here in verse 3, there's three main things that they need to repent of. Number one, that Assyria cannot save us. And who is Assyria? You're like, okay, what was all that about? I thought Assyria was attacking them. Well, at first they were allies. At first the people of God were relying on Assyria to be their allies, to be their source of protection rather than God. And so basically what this is representing is trusting in the governmental systems, the political systems, the, the social structure systems of this world to bring freedom and deliverance in my life. Assyria cannot save us. If we trust in them, the exact same thing is going to happen to us that happened to the people of God then. Assyria did come to save them at one point, but later on it destroyed them. They came back and totally obliterated the nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. If we trust in the ways of this world, in the political systems of this world, in the, the way the world does things, it will destroy us. It might bring temporary deliverance, but it's not our source of salvation. And maybe that's what God's doing in this time right now, is getting us loose of that. That some of us, we, we, don't, we, just don't, we don't need to trust so much in what's going on in our, even in our nation, whatever it is, that we don't want to trust in that more than Jesus. It doesn't mean it's not good. It doesn't mean God's not working through it. But if it goes away, I have to be okay with that. If I'm not, then I'm not really trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Assyria. Second thing is this. It says we will not mount war horses. You know, in, in, the, in that time, 
you know, war horses made a big difference in battle, right? Because, I mean, if you're on a horse, it's a whole lot easier to get somebody swing down with the sword, right? And the horse can trample the, the enemy, you know. So if you had just 300 battle-tested soldiers on horse, you could take thousands of those who were on foot. And so what is that, what is that saying is, is this. I need to repent of using the weapons of this world to gain the victory in my life. It says, we'll not mount the war horses. In other words, I'm not going to use the way the world works, the way the world you know, gets ahead, the way the world fights the battle. What does it say in the New Testament? Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, they don't belong to this world, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And we, we pull down the strongholds and we make and take every captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And so instead of mounting the war horse of manipulation, mounting the war horse of, of you know, uh, bribery, whether that's relational bribery or actually money bribery, whatever it is, I'm not going to use those, you know, the way the world works, I'm not going to scratch your back so you scratch mine, as they say in the oil field, right? You know, they, you do this for me and then I'll do this for you type thing. Um, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And so we have to repent of trusting in the technology, in the material possessions uh, that we have on this earth to give us the victory in, in our world, in our lives. And number three, it says this, and we will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. And what is this is we cannot worship our own, our own physical efforts. In other words, I cannot use my own ability to do anything to save myself. We don't realize how many times that we do this because we're relying on what it's just like Ashley was saying. It really does tie in her, her word about worship is this. When it's going good, we think our prayers are probably get more getting answered, right? But you think, man, God's probably listening to me because I'm really, I'm having a great week. I'm loving my spouse. I'm speaking kindly to those around me. I told somebody about Jesus. I read my Bible twice in seven days. Uh, you know, I prayed. You know, I've done all this stuff. I'm doing good, right? And so what is, you know, I'm basing my relationship with God on what? My own effort. How well I'm doing. When God bases my relationship on, do you know Jesus? Are you, led, are you trusting Jesus to work in your life? Are you trusting Jesus for everything in your life? Or is he just an add-on? Is it like a, yeah, I need you for this type thing? And so Hosea is like, we, we must repent of using anything that we have done on our own and trying to save ourselves or free ourselves because what they were literally talking about was idols. In other words, I'm going to make this thing and it's going to get my affection, my attention, my worship. My, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to give my energy toward it. Whatever that might be in this world, in this life, that's an idol. If it takes the place of Jesus in my life, it's an idol. Doesn't matter what it is. I have to I've made it, I've made it myself into something that's worthy 
worth something, worth worship in my life. Whatever that is in my life, it could be it could be a good relationship. It can be money. It can be, you know, pleasure. Even in the context of marriage, that can become an idol. It can be whatever it, it can be is anything that you focus on more than Jesus, anything that if you live without your life, you feel like your life is lacking something, that's an idol. Because if you have Jesus, you don't need anything else, according to the Scriptures. You know, this, the, there's Sundays in Advent. The Advent season is the, the Sundays leading up to Christmas. And traditionally, there's been several different themes that you can follow. Um, some focus on, you know, the prophecies and then the shepherds and then the angels and, or, and then Mary and the birth. And then some use words like um, expectation and preparation and repentance, and then celebration. And so today is the third Sunday, which would fall in the category of the repentance. And I sense that God wanted to remind us of his protection, but he also wanted to remind us of his rod that says, hey, what are you trusting more than me? What are you trusting more than me? Are you trusting that your prayers will be answered more than you're trusting me? I didn't see the answered prayer, God, so I'm going to, I'm upset. <laughs> so then I'm trusting in my prayer more than I'm trusting in him. I'm counting on my spiritual wisdom and knowledge to get me to make it instead of Jesus, you're enough for me. That was the issue for the people of God all throughout history. God was just never enough. They always had to have him and something else. Okay, we have you, God, but we, we need a king now. Well, I've got one God. Why not have two? Multiply the gods, right? And so they, then they begin to worship the other gods. It seems ridiculous, right? But that's what they did. They were like, God, basically, you're not enough. What, what you've given us is not enough. And so whenever we are searching for idols, we're just, we're just saying, Jesus, you're not enough. Just you is not enough for me. Yet the story of the Bible is, he is the hope of all the nations. He is enough for every single person. That he is the answer today. He's the answer yesterday. He's the answer tomorrow. He's the answer for the future. That doesn't matter what's on the news right now. It doesn't matter what's happening in my personal life. Jesus is still the answer. And he alone is my hope. It's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay? <laughs> it's Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. And he holds out the picture of the olive branch before us to, to give us the sign. Here's the sign. When he shows up, hope is here. Life is here. Something new is here. Something that will last for centuries and millennia and into all eternity is here. And hold on to him.
So I understand this is a challenging message. But God is calling the church to repent. Because we have trusted in other things other than Him. Whether that's our own comfort, whether that's our own pleasure, whether that's our own 401k, whether that's the oil field, whether that's what happens in the United States of America, whether we have freedom or not, or who's in charge, or what's taken away from us, we've trusted in those things instead of Jesus. When Jesus is still on the same story... The same story is this, that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died the perfect death for every single human being. And he rose again, conquering death. And then he gave us the message, the commission to say, we are the ones. We're the candlesticks. We're the seven candles lit up in our lives to display his goodness and his grace. And the only thing that matters is if someone else knows Jesus. Look, I'm right with you. I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself to say, what am I trusting in? What is the source of my happiness and joy in my life? Is it him or is it is something else? Is it just his gifts, just his goodness, or is it him? Is it just what he can give me or is it him? Is Jesus enough? For the shepherds, Jesus was enough because they had nothing else. They had nothing else to count on in their life. But it says they told everybody. <laughs> it says they were filled with joy so much that they're like, I have to tell somebody else. It says they told everybody. Even the ones they weren't supposed to talk to. <laughs> they just told them all. So I want us to close. If, you wanna, if you'd stand. And whether you need the protection part or the correction part or you need a little bit of both, we're going to thank the Lord for his work in our hearts through the word of God. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your protection, God. We thank you that you have been, you have been at work even when we did not know it, that you've taken your rod and you've hit the enemy in the head when he's been attacking us at different points and and we were not harmed, we were not devoured, we were not killed in that moment. And we thank you for protecting us. We thank you that Jesus is the answer, that he is the provision for our salvation. He's the provision for our sustenance. He's provision for wisdom and counsel and understanding and knowledge, that he is the provision of everything we need in this life. And so we choose to trust you, Jesus, with everything in our situations, God, everything in our minds, everything in our hearts. And God, we choose to repent, Lord, whatever we've trusted in, God. And just right now where you're at, if you just need to repent of something, just quietly right where you are, just say, God, I repent for trusting this more than you. Whatever that thing may be, Lord, we repent for trusting these things that are not worthy of praise, that are not worthy of worship, that are not worthy of our honor, that are not worthy of our affection and our complete attention and our focus. And so we lay those things down. And we thank you, God, that you're moving and you're making a fresh, uh, you're making some fresh shoots right now. Lord, we thank you that the results of repentance at the second half of Hosea 14 is new life. 
is abundance, is blessing, God, but it's the right kind of abundance. It's the right kind of new life. It's the right kind of blessing. It's the right kind of things that the kingdom of God wants to happen. It's souls and people being touched with the love of Jesus. And so, God, we repent whether we've trusted in things of this world, the ways of this world, the wisdom of this world, the politics of this world, the social finagling and and all that stuff that goes along with, uh, you know, social status. We just repent for trusting in those things. We just repent, Lord. Jesus, help us trust you. Help us trust you and you alone. Help us hold on to you. That you are truly the hope of all the nations. Jesus, you're the hope of every nation. Not just the United States of America. You're the hope of every single nation. Jesus, you're the hope of Morocco. Lord, you're the hope of, of Russia. You're the hope of Mongolia. You're the hope of Germany, God. You're the hope of Norway. You're the hope of Venezuela. God, you're the hope of Honduras and Panama, Lord. You're the hope of Mexico. God, you're the hope of Chile. You're the hope of Greenland and Iceland, God. You're the hope of Bangladesh. You're the hope of China and Japan and Korea and the Philippines, God. You're the hope of Australia and Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. You're the hope of the islands, God, the Caribbean. Jesus, we just ask that however we're supposed to affect our world, whether it's across the street or across the ocean, that you would fill us freshly this Christmas season with hope. Lord, as we repent of things we've trusted in, God, you come in, you bring refreshment, you bring increase, you bring wisdom, you bring the, you bring the fruitfulness, God. And so we want to be fruitful like you want us to be fruitful, not like the world wants us to be fruitful. Or we know that you're going to judge righteously. You're not going to judge the way other people judge. And so we, we want to trust in you, God. Help our hearts be pure before you. And help us find someone to, to share the message with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer, our leaders are going to come forward. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, now is the day of salvation. You need to do that. You need to give your heart to him and trust him and surrender to Him as your Lord and Savior. If you need healing in your body, if you need a miracle in, in your life, whatever it is that you need, don't go if you want somebody to pray for you. Uh, we, are gonna, we will pray as long as we need to. So thank you all, and God bless you.